Hello. Welcome to this episode of Talking Ghana. Talking Ghana is a podcast devoted to the left, right, and center of Ghana's politics. For each episode, my three parties, Papa, Kwabna, Oliver, and I, will offer our unbiased but highly opinionated take on topical issues and themes coming from Ghana. My name is Nelson Opong, a lecturer at the University of Edinburgh. about is the extent to which if there, there are certain things which emanate from the EC for instance like the, this issue of compiling a new voter register is this an initiative that the in, this emanated independent from the EC was this their decision or this is something that is driven by the by the government in power and that and for which reason the EC cannot see on so I, I think that when, I, when it comes to certain points where the EC adopts something which seems popular with the or the seems the position of the ruling government, then at that point they are riding that horse to the to the wheels fall off. And no matter what you say, they are still going to stick to it no matter what. I think we saw the same thing with with Michelle Otosai's electronic voting machine, which seemed to be something that they, the NDC was pushing. And that there was no way the EC could back off from it, even if we were not logistically present from it. And we are seeing the same things now. And I, I, to the extent that the EC continues to do this, there's very little scope for it where it can it can meet people halfway. So irrespective of whether or not the person is taking a legalistic approach to the EC's mandate and ability to drive consensus, if it comes if we come to the table with certain things which are non-negotiable, then of course you're not going to reach a consensus, right? Yeah. Because so if it comes yeah. to Something exactly. which you're embracing and you cannot, you cannot give up. But one of the things I also wanted to direct the conversation much more towards, and, and, and I think we mentioned it earlier as well when you're talking about it, uh, Charlotte says disqualification of a number of parties is about the consistent issues around, uh, lack of transparency about financing and our politics, you know, and who, where are parties getting money from and whether or not the EC is awake to the role of money in the conversation. In one of our former podcasts, we talked about, we were talking about the, the risk of elite capture. And there's no higher risk for this in, in the way in which money is regulated in politics. And I don't know whether any of you have any perceptions to share here as well as to what role the EC can play in this conversation. I, I, look, I think that the, I mean, you are, you are really, really right because the EC should not be perceived as only an election running vehicle, you know, or manager. The EC, when we are not having an, you know, towards preparing for an election, ought to be doing either public education on elections or, you know, in, and not all, and managing the political party aspects of its role, including accounting, 
thinking futuristically about how the political parties are doing, what's the state of what's the state of health of political parties, you know, thinking forward and putting proposals across, you know, in terms of how to develop this the system, how to develop political parties and so on. And and I think that their failure to to do that, to have a bigger role other than just managing the ballot and the casting of the ballot in the register. I think that is is what is hampering their they're growing up, not kind of growing above the political parties, but they are let independent. Me, let me push you a bit on this point as well, Eric, before the others come in. Um, one of the one of the conversations that like we've talked about the issues need to create consensus. One of the most difficult things where you can do that is around where you have to you have to crack the whip, right? So our laws contain very stringent rules around disqualification, deregistering of political parties for lack of putting forth the accounts and things like that. To the extent, if the AC were to step into this role more, the contestations against the EC, do you think that we are not going to see a much more increase? I know people have suggested, for instance, I, that we shave off that role and give it to another institution rather than EC. Fine. I mean, whether we shave it off or not, that's another conversation. I, I, now it is, it is with the EC. Look, there's a way we do things, well, we've done things in Ghana when it comes to building consensus, society consensus, or national consensus, and so on. And I think it's it's by bringing civil society organizations who are into elections or, you know, bringing um, opinion leaders together to, you know, discuss these things over time. And I will totally agree with you. If you just jump into asking people to do things, you know, for which you will you will exercise some some whip clearly and you do it in an election year you will never have consensus you will never build consensus you do it when people have won the election people are happy you know others are unhappy but there's some opening if you have some uh, 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 social um, leaders in place to have a discussion about how do we move this particular process forward you know, you just, I don't want to talk too much about this. Let's give others. So, so if I could come in, if I could come in. So the, 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 normally when you, when you talk about, um, the different mandates that fall under the electoral commission. So you can think about, um, the mandate on political party registration and regulation. You can also talk about boundary delimitation and then the election proper, which is, you know, the elect- conducting voting, making sure that every Ghanaian who is registered actually gets registered and uh, the opportunity to vote. And in some countries, um, these three roles are performed by different agencies or different institutions. I think what is interesting in the Ghanaian context is that we think that they overlap. And actually that's what happens. They overlap. You cannot, you cannot, um, for instance, register parties for the purposes of voting without making sure that the parties are in good standing and they fulfill the laws of Ghana in terms of having regional offices, keeping a balanced account and all that. And so the Ghanaian context, we anticipate 
that these functions overlap. And actually, that's what happens. But I think one of the problems we have is that we have a very minimalistic view of elections. We think election is about voting on December 7th. And whatever you do towards election has to be, how do you ensure that the boots are there, the, the polling boots are there, how do you ensure people have voter ID card, and what have you. And that is quite minimalistic. And I think over the past decades, the EC has taken this highly minimalistic view to the point where it has seeded especially the boundary limitation function to the policy class uh, or the governing class of the day. And as a result of that, I think that various parties have used that as an opportunity to make incursions into the areas of autonomy of the Electoral Commission. And so, I mean, who determines whether a district has to be formed in Ghana? or whether a constituency has to be created. Sometimes you see political parties promising this mm. as if it is their responsibility. Yeah. And so when it, they come to power and then they actually do it, it tends to undercut the EC. And I think because of this undercutting, it has, one, created this perception of a very weak electoral commission, which then fuels this perception that, oh, when they are acting, they are acting because there is a, a, a higher power somewhere which is driving it. Whereas if you read the constitution, and I'm not a lawyer, but if you read the constitution very well, we have one of the most progressive structures for the electoral commission. And I think that it is a very smart way to give all those three mandates to the electoral commission. It gives it the opportunity to raise money, to build a staff, to build knowledge that will feed into an election. And and I think going forward, this electoral commission, if it wants to succeed as long as others have done, then it has to really reassert itself over all these uh, multiple mandates. There's, there's a very practical issue concerning these other mandate and particularly, particularly the one concerning ensuring compliance of the rules by, uh, by the political parties, compliance fi- to financial rules. It goes back to a bigger issue about funding political party and whether there should be public funding of political parties. We find ourselves in a, in a country and at a level of development where it becomes very obvious that finding sources other than public finances to fund political parties is very, very difficult. And so if we are not able to address whether there should be a national funding of political parties, it undermines that mandate of holding the uh, uh, the electoral commission holding political parties accountable because if 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 we if we were to publicly fund the political parties then you can really really hold them to account for whatever public funds have been given them and whatever alternate 
uh, alternative sources of funds funding they are resorting to. But in a situation where there's no public funding, a, a, and, and our level of development, it, it, that, that mandate will be, will continue to be very difficult for the electoral commission to execute. But it's about enforcing the law, mm-hmm. right? It may not be good law, but it has to be enforced. When you build within it too much discretion, right? Mm-hmm then that is where you build a subculture of non-compliance. So when um, Madame Shalotosei came, mm-hmm. people were actually shocked that the EC could raise questions about signatures. Mm-hmm. And it's in part because of that subculture that had been built about non-compliance. You know? And this po- political party financing is one of such a clear case where I think compliance has not been enforced for all the reasons you've outlined. But in not enforcing those rules, then you are creating a bigger space for discretion. And whenever you have discretion, people then would say, why didn't you enforce the law in the case of X? But in the case of Y, you've decided to enforce it. It's essentially because you want to punish this person. But that is, so that is, I think there's a big problem of enforcement. But that is that is exactly the problem that manifests itself because I cannot be convinced that if the Electoral Commission were to be really cracking the whips and doing it fairly, it won't affect the two biggest parties. But the commission does not have the balls to crack the whip in respect of the two political parties. And so what it then ends up is a matter of convenience. And that's where you can fault uh, Madame Charlotte say, a matter of convenience. You can go at the smaller parties and but not at the big parties. Uh, I don't know. Only okay. that <laughs> To, you know, the bigger point I actually wanted to react to was, was Nelson's final line of, of the, the other mandates of the EC, but I'll come to that. And I want to deal first with the issue of the compliance. And I have to agree with Nelson that in an environment where there's a subculture of non-compliance, it doesn't make sense that we should then give public funds to parties and say that that is the only one the EC gains the moral authority to enforce rules. No, charity as we see begins at home. You have to establish a clear sense of being in control and being able to properly enforce rules before we then may create this further avenue for, for people to, to embezzle public funds. Because that's essentially what is going to happen. People okay. will then put together quasi-structures for the purposes of being able to register for elections in order to assess public funding. And I don't necessarily agree with you that the flexing of muscles towards smaller parties then shows that there's a lack of commitment towards enforcing the rules. I mean, where you have a sense where the EC has not traditionally exercised its power, Perhaps better to start testing that those powers with the there's less room for contestation, right? So do it to the smaller parts. And I'm a small party guy, but I believe that if you want to be able to establish that that sense of that fear of God around you, try start it first with the smaller parties, and then you build that confidence with the bigger parties. But to the extent that the bigger parties are the main stakeholders in the elections, we cannot keep tiptoeing around them. That we have to stop it. Now, I want to get to the main point, which I'm much more excited to make. 
which is what Nelson was talking about, the issues around the the, the territory constitution uh, constituency limitations, and then also needing to crack the rip around party public party financing. Those are three key areas which are keenly contested. And I don't I think that will be derailing the EC if we wanted to, to exercise three contentious mandates. We are creating a recipe for disaster. Why the, the issues crisscross around each other? There's a reason why in other democracies they have not lodged that power in one institution, which is also in the field of the elections, right? You have a democracy where which is keenly contested because all the other ways in which we ensure checks and balances have broken down. Even the courts have refused to play their role. They're telling parties that elections are won at the ballot box. And so there's even a, a sense where there's a, the, the courts are declining their jurisdiction here. So if you have keenly contested elections and then you want the main stakeholder then to be flying into very contested areas around creating your constituencies and then managing public financing and auditing accounts and chasing whether or not a Ghanaian or a non-Ghanaian has contributed to your election and who which also entails a lot of criminal consequences, even for certain political actors, whether it's a flag bearer or not. I don't think we want the EC to be in that position. And this is where we have to think about decoupling those rules much um, much keenly. I agree. So you can decouple, but you also need to reflect on synergies, right? Okay. There are ways by which these individual mandates complement each other. Um, and so how do you achieve those, you know, standalone institutions effectively performing those roles? I'll give you an example. Yeah. Okay. You have the, you have the NCC and you have the EC. In terms of electoral education, there, there's synergy going on, but there are lots, the responsibility of civic education. We have one lodge in another institution, which is doing that role and supposed to be doing a tango. Or doing that in tandem with the electoral commission, right? You remember, you remember that debate uh, right. a while ago when there was a, we had a lot of invalid votes, and uh, is it Charles Bintin who was yeah. then NCC? Uh, people asked him why is the NCC not educating people, and he said that that is not their role, and that it is the responsibility of the electoral commission. I remember it generated quite a lot of discussion. Uh, but until you, you are the Constitutional Co Review Commission guy. What, what do you yeah, Oliver, <laughs> Oliver, actually, Oliver, so let, 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 him, let him continue his points. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, what I want to say is that I, I don't disagree with the need for synergy. But I think that the more that you create contestations and you launch three points of contestation within one single institution, you create a risk of jeopardy. You know? So then the conversation would be about how do we ensure that the three this institution collaborates more. And then you you devolve the areas in which political parties will be fighting each other over nominations and whatnot around, such that it's not all built up in one institution and the, the risk of failure is higher, right? So, Oliver, let me, let, me, let me then ask you, let me then ask you, uh, what institution should then take their threefold roles? It, and and this, this is not peculiar to the Electoral Commission, the same uh, issues of uh, separating mandates come up when you talk about trash, but there seem to be a certain thinking by the framers of the Constitution trying to 
put all these mandates together in one institution? What will be your solution to this problem and which institutions should perform their respective mandates that you have spoken about? You know, one of the things we do best is, is that we don't shy away from creating institutions. Uh, we've shown it with the, with the special prosecutor's office. And okay. as I don't, I think that, for instance, in, in, I think in the U.S., the Justice Department plays an important role around these issues. I think that there has to be an office under the Attorney General, under the Ministry of Justice, which is focused on prosecuting issues around not only electoral voter fraud and also political party financing and, and cracking the whip around there. So we can give that role there. Now, when it comes but, but to the the issues around who creates constituencies, who thinks about districts and things like that, we can have an institution for it. But how do you make we, up for the fact that we don't have an independent attorney general? I, I think we will, we will continue to have these conversations as these, you know, our various episodes, um, continue. I, I, I just want to, you know, kind of raise a point of caution that we should be careful about creating institutions. You know, you know, in Ghana, one of the things is people love their power and they love the, to control their institutions and they don't want to work in a collaborative manner, even when they are, mandates overlap. Look at the mess we've had with identification, for example, and the years it has taken us to try to be doing something about it between the uh, social security, uh, the SNIT, um, electoral commission, and now um, national identification authority. You know? So I, there's a bigger conversation to, ha- to, be, to be had up about that. I think we have had a fantastic conversation on the EC. Part one, I'm sure we'll have part two, part three, part four, before December. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, please send us your feedback, uh, comments, and suggestions to TalkingGhana at ProtonMail.com. We'll be back next time with another explosive and highly opinionated take on Talking Ghana. Thank you.